Well, brothers and sisters in Christ, once upon a time, and they lived happily ever after. I'm sure you have heard these two lines before, though perhaps not in such a quick succession. Uh, there's usually a story, right, in between these two lines. Uh, once upon a time, this happened, and, and that happened, and then the next thing happened, and uh, it all ended in this way, and they lived happily ever after. But both lines, once upon a time, and they lived happily ever after, say something, I believe, about our modern culture. The fact that the words once upon a time signal to the reader or listener that a story is about to be told shows us that history is indeed a story to be told. Interesting things have happened in the past, stories worthy to be told, and yet the indiscriminate reference to once upon a time also tends to carry a a kind of timeless ring to it. On one hand, once upon a time is is a rather clear reference to the past. On the other hand, without being any more specific than once upon a time, It tends to set up the story rather timelessly, perhaps even with a sense of the eternal. Solomon wrote the words, God has put eternity into the hearts of men, and we might be hearing something of his wisdom even in the words, once upon a time. But what about they lived happily ever after? On the barest level, these are words that demonstrate that everyone loves a happy ending. Here we might move from the modern to the postmodern. Uh, our current age is often referred to as postmodern, which is uh, an abrasive term to people who uh, appreciate words and expect them to make sense. Postmodern is like saying post now. Not later or after, but just post now. Of course, it's because people had previously become so arrogant that, uh, that they uh, uh, had become so sure that they had arrived that they uh, began to call the current period of technology and thought as the modern period. But their arrogance was revealed when they were then stuck if that was the modern period, uh, and if now we have moved on, well, what is it now? Well, it must be the postmodern period, regardless of how silly that sounds. Hey, we've got, we've got evolution on our side, so I guess uh, we can be just about as nonsensical as we want to be. And true to form, with a nonsensical name like postmodern, the the current literature, remember you can no longer refer to the modern culture because they used that term up on the Industrial Revolution, but but in in current storytelling, it it has become somewhat popular not to have a happy ending. And I say popular not because anyone really likes it when the story doesn't have a happy ending, Uh, But if you want the Emmy, uh, if you want the Pulitzer Prize, 
if you want the accolades of a society that believes that references to time uh, aren't needed anymore, then you uh, have to skip the happy ending. Um, leave the protagonist in prison and uh, everyone else suffering, maybe even dead, uh, and the phone will start ringing with invitations to do radio interviews uh, on NPR that nobody listens to anyway. Um, hey, it makes sense, right? There should be no happy ending for the writer who ends the story without a happy ending. Perhaps the, the post, or perhaps in the post, post-modern era, uh, or whatever they decide to call it, perhaps the happy ending will come back. And, of course, it never really left, did it? We, we love the happy ending. And this, too, belongs to the eternity that God has placed in the heart of man. On one hand, why, should, why shouldn't we settle for the unhappy ending? It happens every day. Every day people die painful deaths after living very unhappy lives. Lots of people live miserable lives buried in injustice and suffering and squalor and depravity, and then they die. Hardly anyone knows and, and no one cares. On one hand, the, the postmodern writers have it right. Life stinks, and then you die. Uh, even in America... With all our prosperity, life stinks and then you die. So why do we want and and, and why do we expect the happy ending? Because God has put eternity into the heart of man. Deep in their hearts, people say, at, at whatever level of cognition they are capable of, they say, surely there must be something more. Surely there might yet be a happy ending. If you or the person living next door to you is going to find the happy ending, it will only be by way of the providence of God. We started in on the doctrine of providence last Sunday, and and lest our eyes glaze over by the word doctrine, or by the word providence, let's be clear what we're talking about here. By the word doctrine, we simply mean what the Bible teaches about something. And right away, someone might say, oh, the Bible? Um, I don't accept the Bible. And that's fine, in a way. Go your way without the happy ending. Take up the postmodern way of celebrating uh, the perceived truth that there is no God, no eternity, no hope in this stinking world. Go read your Hemingway and, and try to figure out when is the best time to check out of this world. May evolution bless you richly with, well, with whatever. That's postmodernism. Have at it. Enjoy. But the Bible has a message and, it, and it's a message that meets up with, with what you already know. You know there is a God. You know there is eternity to be reckoned with. You know that there is yet hope. 
for a happy ending to your life. The question is whether God will give you to accept the message of His providence. What does that mean, God's providence? It it simply means that God is in control. To be more literal, providence is the providence of God, the truth and the fact that God provides. It's actually Christianity 201. Christianity 101 is that there is a God. And again, it's what you already know. All you have to do is look at the world around you and ask the questions, where did it come from, why is it here, and where is it going? Ironically, those are the same three questions that every person on the face of the earth is asking. Again, at whatever level of cognition they are capable of, these three questions get asked every day, Not because somebody decides to ask, but because it's built into their DNA. It's just a matter of of what it means to be human. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? It's the same when we look at the world around us. Not not who, but, but what is it? What is this world? Why is it here? And where is it going? And God's providence means that no matter what happens in your life, or in the life of the United States of America, or in the course of any and all events throughout history, whatever happens, God knows the what, and He knows the why, and He knows the where it is going. Here's the point where the message of the Bible is is lost on too many arrogant fools who come up with all kinds of excuses for not believing this. And don't get me wrong, I'm not beating up on you or, or, or on anybody else, at least not any more than I have to, but, but, but I'm the same way. In all of us, the power of sin is at work. And, and if you want to see the power of sin, just, just look at the life and ministry of Jesus. Jesus was a teacher who came teaching and, and preaching that there is a definable, objective truth which is found in God and comes from God. And that includes a, a, def, a, a divine definition of right and wrong. No, it's it's not your place to decide that it's okay for you to be sexually active with someone you're not married to. It's not okay for you to steal from your employer even though your employer has more money than you do. It's not okay for you to hate your sister-in-law who keeps poisoning the waters within the family. Fornication is a real thing. Stealing is wrong regardless of social justice excuses. Love is love regardless of whether it comes to you first or goes out from you regardless. There is a God, and He Himself is the standard of right and wrong. His holiness is real. And this was the message of Jesus. He he even spoke as one who had authority. 
In other words, he, he, he wouldn't have gotten hired by any church in our day, whether modern, postmodern, or otherwise. But he also came doing miracles. And his miracles were a demonstration of God's providence, his his providence. The miracles of Jesus were were never done for the sake of mere impression and awe. He never made he never just made a rock float through the air and land again on the ground. All his miracles were done to provide for people. We take that for granted, but think of it. Think of it. All his miracles were done to provide people with healing, to provide them with food, to provide them with deliverance from demon possession, to provide some even with resurrection from the dead. Don't you wish you could have been there to see it? Maybe even to experience it for yourself, healing, deliverance, hope in the face of death. It was the stuff of divinity. It was the stuff of eternity. But what did they do? After enjoying his ministry for even a very short time, they chose death over life. They chose demonic possession over freedom. They chose the pleasures of sin over the hope of eternal life. And so they cried, crucify him, crucify him. People today are not different. And maybe you're one of them. Is this just doctrine? Uh, Is God's providence just church stuff? Here you are in church and, and, and you're just hearing what you expect to hear and it's not going to make a bit of difference in your life. Because maybe God is creator, he's holy and all that, but you've got your life to live, you've got your friends to impress. You've got your reputation to keep. You've got your money to make and your plans to keep. But if so, you might as well add your voice to those who yelled, crucify him. Because it was the only way to get rid of Jesus then. And it's not all that different from saying in our own day, I got what I need. Now go away. Here's a point where we need to understand something that is, that is easily missed in the, in the gospel story of, of Jesus' ministry. What we, what we fail to see, maybe it's, maybe it's just too wonderful for us to grasp, but, but what we fail to see is that Jesus did so many miracles. The providence of God was so rich and full and free, flowing from him to all those around him that there was surely hardly any people left to be healed. Mark 6.56 records that when he came in villages, cities, or countryside, and, 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 we can, and, and can we not hear what the gospel writer is doing? Uh, he's doing his best to, to say uh, everywhere, in villages, uh, cities, uh, uh, countryside, no matter where he went, it says they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched it were made well. There's no exclamation point in the ESV. Maybe there is in your Bible, but surely that's the, 
That's the sound of the gospel writer, the exclamation, and as many as touched it were made well. And the reason to see this, to to grasp it, to understand the providence of God in the ministry of Christ is, is to understand then the very dark truth that once they were made well, once they had their lives back, exactly because Jesus also came preaching the word of God, they ended up yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Because of sin, comfort means complacency. Because of sin, when all is well, when, and, and when all is well by the providence of God in our lives, then we want God gone. We are all the prodigal son. Give me what I want and then leave me alone to do it my way. That's what unbelief is. It is, the, it is to take all that I can get from God and yet to refuse what I most need because I can be rich and happy and comfortable by God's providence and I can decide in demand to be left alone and I can go my own way into hell. Over and over again in God's word, we see the providence of God, which, which is to say we see God providing for people. It even begins at creation. Why did God rest on the seventh day after the six days of creation? An omnipotent God, a, a God who possesses all power, does not get tired and has no need to rest. Instead, God rested because he was done When you finish a job, if there's nothing else to do, regardless of whether you're exhausted or not, you you sit down. You rest, and, and so did God, and he did so as a proclamation. He did so to demonstrate, even to declare to us that all was finished, all was complete, all was provided. To use a Navy expression, the pattern was full. And as those creatures created in God's own image, we could land our plane on the deck of God's full and generous and glorious provision in all that he had created. Providence and creation, two words, but they basically mean the same thing. God provides. We obviously see God's providence in the story of Noah and the flood. God was going to do something big, even catastrophic. He was going to flood the world, so angry he was with the wickedness of man. But God provided a warning and instructions for Noah to prepare for his judgment. Again, are we any different under God's providence? Uh, Is God a God of love? Yes, he provides food for the hungry. He even fills the mouths of those who curse him between bites. But God is not helpless to be taken advantage of forever. Judgment cometh, and that right soon, for sinners yet today. And yet he provides. He provides. He provides. He, he provided an ark for Noah and his family, and he provided a cross for you and for me. 
Yes, Noah had to build the ark for himself and his family, and, and Jesus did a great work as well to save his family, those whom God gave him to save. We see God's providence in the life of Abraham. I have a land for you, Abraham. I'm going to give it to you despite your sin and your wavering faith. He was a God of providence to Abraham and to his children after him, which the Apostle Paul says means you and me. Not because we're Jewish, because we're not, but because we are recipients of God's provision, the recipients of God's providence promised to Abraham and fulfilled in Christ. And all of this comes up, of course, because we are immersed in the story of Joseph. It was said last time that the story of Joseph is perhaps the story of God's providence. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, said Joseph to his brothers. When, when things go wrong for us, we, we have to double back. Uh, we have to figure out a new plan. To, we have to find some new way forward. Not so with God. In all things, he is moving. In all things, he is directing. In all things, he is leading and guiding his people. He is providing for us. It's truly, it's really true for the, for the believer and the unbeliever. It's just that for the believer, the providence of God means more, far more than just food and drink and temporary shelter. It means eternal life through Jesus Christ. Once upon a time, there was a man named Adam. His name was Adam because he was the first man, and the name Adam means man. And God provided for him and for his offspring. He provided light by which he could see. He provided air. For him to breathe, he provided land upon which Adam and his offspring might stand and prosper. God provided for him and for us all that which we need. Nothing missing, nothing withheld. That's the story of creation. But Adam rebelled and sinned and and we still rebel and sin in our day, even under the providence of God. Once upon a time, God sent a flood, but he provided for the salvation of Noah and his family. Once upon a time, God chose Abraham, a man who may very well have been worshiping some pagan deity at the moment when God spoke to him and promised his providence. Once upon a time, God sent Joseph into Egypt by way of the jealousy and betrayal of his brothers. And yet through him, God provided the survival of his miserable brothers. Next time, the Lord willing, we will get more into the details of the story again. But for this time, we, we can look at God's providence. I would have us look at God's providence very broadly. And we, we can hear the story that once upon a time, God sent his son Jesus into this world as the provision of salvation 
He healed us. He fed us. He cast out demons from some. He raised others even from the dead by his miracles. But by his greatest miracle, by being dead and and yet standing up and taking off his own grave clothes and folding them up and setting them aside. So he provided. He, He provided. Can we hear it? He provided forgiveness and righteousness. And so he provided salvation for those who trust in him for his providence through Christ. From the beginning, God's work in creation can be equated with his providence. As God created, so he provided for mankind. Always remember that. As God created in the beginning, so he provided for mankind, including you and me. But in the end, the same equation must be understood with salvation. The word providence and the word gospel are really one and the same. The gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is that God provides. The flow of God's providence is throughout history, and it continues yet today. Even more, history itself is God's providence. As God has created this world, as He sustains this world day by day, and as He directs the events of this world unto His determined end. And so the end itself is God's providence. Heaven is the new creation of God, accomplished by the work of Christ to provide us with what is needed, even what is most needed, in order that we, quite literally, might live happily ever after. Amen. Let's pray. What a great delight it is, O God, our Father, to know you and to know that you are the God of providence, that it was true in creation and has been true in every relationship, every covenant you have made throughout history, and that it's true for us in our day, under the covenant of Christ, that we, O God, are those whom you provide for. Grant us the peace that ought to be there for us as we know these things and as we trust in you. Grant us to know and believe and rejoice in your providence. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.